Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Shadman. Together we'll listen to a wide variety of jazz, making new discoveries and finding new information to help enliven our musical experience. Sponsored by Peterborough Independent Podcasters. This week I'm talking about some well-known jazz tunes where there's some contention about who actually wrote it. And I'm also going to throw in one well-known rock tune, but play a jazz interpretation of it. Let's start with one of the most played tunes by jazz students and jazz veterans, one that's so often called out in a jazz jam where the horn players want to show off their chops. A lot of the tunes that were supposedly written by Miles Davis, in actuality, probably weren't. But here's one where the opposite has occurred, where the person with whom it's historically been credited may not actually be the writer, but rather, Miles Davis deserves the credit. It's Donna Lee, most often credited to Charlie Parker. I'll start by playing the original version of the tune by Charlie Parker, then talk more about its possible authorship. This is Charlie Parker with Bud Powell on piano, Miles Davis trumpet, Tommy Potter on bass, and Max Roach drums from 1947, the month of May. Thank you. 
Miles Davis, in his autobiography, claimed that he wrote that tune, Donnelly, and it was the first composition of his ever recorded. But when the record came out, the record company mistakenly listed the composer as Charlie Parker. At least, that's what Miles Davis says. According to Ron Rotos in his Journey Through the Real Book series, Max Roach, the drummer on that session, told him that Miles Davis did write it, and Drotos believes it because Charlie Parker's bebop melodies mostly tended to consist of a series of very short phrases, a start-stop feel, while Donna Lee has a much longer phrase before it has that stop, which is more a Miles Davis characteristic. No doubt, one reason people are skeptical about Miles Davis's authorship claim comes because so many tunes he claims to have written have been found to have likely been composed by somebody else. One of the most famous is Solar. He only recorded it once on an album from 1954 called Walkin'. Here it is. Thank you. 
that tune solar in a previous episode episode 106 where i played a bit of a tune that was never commercially recorded but was put on an acetate disc in 1946 eight years before the miles davis recording it was played and apparently written by a guitarist named chuck wayne here is that excerpt called Sonny, written as an homage to trumpeter Sonny Berman. It certainly casts a lot of doubt on Miles Davis's claim to authorship of Solar. Let's play another one where Miles Davis claimed authorship is in dispute. Blue in Green. It's the third track on the world's best-selling jazz album, Kind of Blue, from 1959. Did Bill Evans write it or Miles Davis? Both make the claim. When Bill Evans suggested to Miles Davis that he was entitled to a share of the royalties, Davis wrote him a check for $25. Here's the version from Bill Evans' Portrait in Jazz album from 1959, where it is credited to both Miles Davis and Bill Evans. Blue in Green.
Bill Evans, Blue and Green, with Scott Faro on bass and Paul Motion drums. One more tune where Miles Davis's authorship is in question. It's another frequently played standard called Tune Up. The first known recording was by Miles Davis in May 1953 on the album Blue Haze on Prestige label. Eddie Cleanhead Vinson, a blues singer and alto saxophonist, apparently wrote it, but didn't have much use for it and gave it to Miles. But Vinson did start playing it later. Here's a live recording from 1978, live at Sandy's Jazz Revival in Beverly, Massachusetts, with Ray Bryant on piano, George Duvivier bass, Alan Dawson drums, and the alto sax of Eddie Vinson. Tune up.
Eddie Vincent from 1978, Tune Up, a tune that for years has been credited to Miles Davis and now is most often credited to Eddie Cleanhead Vincent. That's our theme for today, trying to answer the question of who wrote it for various jazz tunes where the authorship is either uncertain or has been erroneously credited. The next one's a very interesting and complex one. Listen to this version. There was a boy A very strange Enchanted boy They say
Nature Boy. That's Leila Bialy live in concert 2012 with George Collar on bass and sitar, Larnell Lewis drums, Ben Whitman percussion, and of course Leila Bialy on vocals and piano. That tune became a huge hit for Nat King Cole in 1948, and there are so many stories about the writer, Eden Abes, and how Nature Boy came into Nat King Cole's hands through his valet, with whom Abes had left a tattered copy of the tune. According to Wikipedia, Abes traveled in sandals and wore shoulder-length hair and beard and white robes. He camped out below the first L in the Hollywood sign above Los Angeles and studied Oriental mysticism. He slept outdoors with his family and ate vegetables, fruit, and nuts. He claimed to live on $3 per week. But there are claims that Nature Boy wasn't quite as original as suggested. Later, there were some accusations and litigation by Herman Yablonskov, who claimed that Abez had plagiarized his song, Shivag Mein Hearts, or Hush My Heart, and some settlement was made. It's also been discovered that part of the melody comes from the second movement of Dvorak's Piano Quintet, number 2 in A, Opus 81, from 1887. We're going to put Eden Abez on trial, so to speak. I'm going to first play Nat King Cole's version of Nature Boy, then a touch of Dvorak's piano quintet, second movement, plus a bit of the uh, Blonskoff tune. There was a boy A very strange enchanted boy they say he wandered very far, very far Over land and sea A little shy And sad of eyes But very wise Was he And then one day, a magic day, he passed my way. And while we spoke of many things, fools and kings, this he said to me. Just to love 
and be loved in return. I don't hear any plagiarism there. It's only the first two bars, and even they aren't exactly the same. I mean, there are only 12 notes in the scale, so whether Abez or Yablonskov were influenced by Dvorak, who knows? But listening to the Yablonskov tune, maybe we'll get a different perspective. Schweig mein Herz, rutsch das Leben, hieß mir finster schwarz, doch dein Wetig Verborgen sein, schlingt er ob dem Pein. Meine größte Leiden zeigt nicht vor der Welt. Dein Gewicht. Nah, not at all. Not only that, there are some claims that both the Jablonskov tune and the Dvorak theme were taken from a traditional Czechoslovakian folk song. But again, the melody isn't exactly the same, even though here the first four measures have some similarity to Nature Boy. The verdict coming from me as judge is that Eden Abez is clearly not guilty of theft, but you can be the jury and make your decision. It's a shame that he ended up paying $25,000 to Herman Yablonskov. He probably just wasn't in the mood for a legal battle. But let's move on to the next tune, St. Thomas by Sonny Rollins. It's not really plagiarism, even though what is virtually the same melody appeared on an album by Randy Weston one year before Sonny Rollins recorded it under his name in 1956. Let's hear them both. First, Randy Weston from 1955 with Fire Down There, followed by Sonny Rollins' St. Thomas from his saxophone Colossus album of 1956. Mm-hmm. 
St. Thomas, the classic 1956 recording by tenor saxophonist Sonny Rollins with Tommy Flanagan piano, Doug Watkins bass, and Max Roach on drums. Before that, the same tune a year earlier, entitled Fire Down There by pianist Randy Weston with Sam Gill on bass and Gilbert G.T. Hogan on drums. So was there plagiarism involved? Not really. Weston credited his version as traditional. Sonny Rollins was credited with writing his, which isn't uncommon when a traditional folk song is rearranged. Sonny Rollins admitted that this was a tune he had heard his mother sing to him as a child. And there are two traditional sources for the tune, the Bahamian folk song, Spawn Your Money, and the traditional English song, The Lincolnshire Poacher. Now, this next one is also kind of complicated. That's obviously a version of the 
famous Jimmy Forrest 1951 R&B hit, Night Train, right? Wrong. That's actually the longtime alto saxophonist from the Duke Ellington Orchestra, Johnny Hodges, leading the orchestra with a tune he wrote the year was 1940, called That's the Blues, Old Man. Later, in 1946, Jimmy Forrest, who was part of the Duke Ellington Band at the time, used that melody as an extended sax solo in a Duke Ellington tune called Happy-Go-Lucky Local. Then, after leaving the Ellington Band... Forrest took the same intro and ending and the same solo, added a different stop-time rhythm and an R&B feel, and it became Night Train, and it's made Forrest a lot of money. All right, I stated at the beginning of this episode that I'd be throwing in one well-known rock tune to the mix. Let me tell you my story. When I was music director for the University of Alberta student radio station, now CJSR, a record came in, and I fell in love with it. It was called The Above Ground Sound of Jake Holmes, but everybody else ignored it. So imagine how pleased I was when a couple years later, some rock group that all my peers were raving about, a group called Led Zeppelin, included the opening song from that Jake Holmes record, Dazed and Confused, on their first album. But looking at the label... It was credited to Jimmy Page. It was many years later that Jake Holmes was finally credited with it, or at least uh, credited as being the inspiration. You need to listen to that Jake Holmes version. It's drummerless, very psychedelic, and some great guitar duetting by Holmes and guitarist Ted Irwin. But due to time constraints, I won't play it. But I found a jazz rendition that seems to combine both the Jake Holmes version and the Led Zeppelin one and gives Jake Holmes a songwriting credit. French vibraphonist Frank Tortler and the National Jazz Orchestra from 2006. Dazed and Confused.
and confused Frank Tortler and the National Jazz Orchestra last tune where claimed authorship is suspect here it's not really suspect at all despite the fact that this standard called The Lamp is Low is credited to Peter DeRose and Bert Schefter it's been recorded by the likes of Sarah Vaughan Oscar Peterson and many others but in the background you're hearing a bit of the Pavan for a Dead Princess by Maurice Ravel from which the melody was taken almost note for note. And I'm going to play Maynard Ferguson and his orchestra from 1957 and The Lamp is Low. My name's Larry Sademan. We'll turn the lamp back up with another episode of Discovering Jazz. Maybe a Christmas or holiday special next week. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.